Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McCallum. WJAR-TV reports that blind high school freshman Ryan Luckowitz takes on life, walks with that cane, and feels all those fixed objects. The North Kingstown, Rhode Island teen learns to do this and other independent living skills from his two special education teachers. They are teacher of the visually impaired Elizabeth Doyle Payne and orientation and mobility specialist Judy Lambert. Both Judy and Elizabeth work as teachers under RIVESP, or the Rhode Island Vision Education Services Program. The program specialists work in more than 26 school districts across Rhode Island, but the program may end in late June and end Ryan's special education services. To learn more about this issue and more on Ryan and the services he's received, Elizabeth, Ryan, and Judy join us. Hi, everyone. Hi, Brian. Everybody tell us about yourselves. All right, I'll start. So uh, first of all, thank you for having us on, Brian. It's it's great to join you um, on uh, your show today. And uh, my name is Ryan Lukowicz. I am 15 years old and uh, I am a freshman, as you mentioned, in North Kingstown um, at uh, North Kingstown High School um, in Rhode Island, the smallest state in the country in a small town. And um, I am almost completely blind and um, I work with Elizabeth and Judy on a daily basis and receive uh, services from them. So you don't have any functional vision, Ryan, but you do have coloboma of the optic nerve. What's that? Yes, it is. It is a tongue twister, coloboma of the optic nerve. Absolutely. And uh, basically what that means is um, you have, you know, a piece of your optic nerve missing and your optic nerve is uh, abnormally uh, formed, um, which is a congenital thing. And uh, I've had it all my life since birth. And um, just a couple of years ago, I lost the little vision that I had to a retinal detachment in my right eye. So um, I have no functional vision. I do have um, a small amount of uh, light perception in my left eye. And that's about it. My retina detached to my right eye too in high school. And I uh, just couldn't see a thing, but they did yeah. surgery on it and fixed it. So with this little amount of vision you have, Ryan, how do you thrive in life? Well, I think that you have to really focus on what you do have, right? And, you know, there's one thing that you don't have, it's vision. But, you know, I'm so lucky that I have, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, a roof over my head and uh, great teachers. And of course, these service providers are wonderful. And, uh, you know, also uh, that I can go to a public school every day and get educated and, uh, you know, that I have uh, great friends and family surrounding me. So, you know, I focus on what I do have. And, you know, these ladies are, are, are such great examples of people who help uh, blind children like me to uh, navigate their world and their curriculum, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, more of what they do, but uh, they are um, incredible. And I think that it's most important to uh, focus on uh, what you do have. And there's one thing I don't have, 
and its vision, but blindness is, is not the, uh, the characteristic that uh, defines you. It's just something you have that, uh, you know, you, you can overcome. Elizabeth, you've been Ryan's TBI or Teacher of the Visually Impaired since he was in the fourth grade. What do you work with him on? Yes, I've known Ryan for quite a while. So um, we work on a lot of assistive technology skills, such as screen readers. We use both uh, JAWS with a Windows-based laptop. And we also use VoiceOver, which is the screen reader on iPads. He also uses a lot of keyboard commands and they vary from Windows to Microsoft to JAWS specific or voiceover specific. And we also work on using a refreshable braille display. So a lot of technology. And Ryan has also started braille. He started just a couple years ago and he's really flying through it. So um, we use the UEB Braille, we use math Braille, and he uses a lot of tactiles. So we work on accessing all of those materials. And then Judy and I collaborate and we incorporate everything that we do on an individual basis with Ryan and we merge it into independent living skills. So we will... Um, we will work on some smaller tasks with Ryan and then we collaborate together to do a bigger lesson, all three of us. So for example, we might go um, shopping for a gift or go to a restaurant or um, go to the grocery store. And um, that's, that's it. Although I have to say it's a lot. <laughs> it is. It's a lot, but Elizabeth and Judy, what have been some memorable and funny times working with Ryan? Well, I'll go first. This is Judy. I have to say, one of the best experiences I remember with Ryan was a couple of years ago. During the summer, we have an orientation mobility camp um, that is run through Insight, a local nonprofit. And we work with our students in a different setting and in a different way. One year, we went to a place called Treetop Adventures, which is really like a skills, uh, skills course where you're up on bungee cords and wobbly wires and blocks. And I have a fear of heights. Um, and Ryan was with me. And while I'm supposed to be teaching him and the rest of the campers with us, it was actually Ryan who guided me over some of these obstacles. Um, he said, don't look down. He would go in front of me. He would tell me what to expect. It was really a nice role reversal. And it was nice to see that things he had been taught stuck. And he was using that back with us. It was, it was a nice experience to, to participate in with Ryan. The student teaches the teacher. Always. Always. That's great. Ryan, I know you're a freshman now. What do you want to do when you graduate high school? So um, I would like to be a broadcast meteorologist and um, attend college and uh, pursue, uh, you know, weather uh, as my career. I have uh, passions uh, for studying, you know, how to forecast and the atmospheric sciences, as well as journalism and public speaking. Uh, so um, and, you know, this is why Elizabeth and Judy are both here to you know, uh, you know, they have me hopefully through the rest of high school to prepare me 
for those uh, experiences starting in college and throughout my career. Um, and, you know, as a blind person, um, it's important to be on sort of the same level as everybody else, if you will. And, uh, you know, these, these two uh, ladies, I, I have to give them all the credit for uh, teaching me a lot of uh, what I know, you know, uh, Elizabeth with the, you know, technology and the Braille. And then, you know, of course you have Judy who has taught me how to use my white cane as well as navigate public transportation. And then they team up with, you know, the independent living skills. So this is all going to be, you know, important um, during college and, and my career. So I'm hoping to uh, pursue a meteorology uh, path. We'll, we'll see. And yeah, and those, those meteorologists use their computers and create those graphics. That they do. Elizabeth and Judy, we got to get into the Rhode Island Vision Service Education Services Program because we want to learn more about how you got both got hired through this program to work with kids like Ryan. Okay, um, it's Judy. And so RyBest, as we are called, is um, was actually mandated by Fed, uh, sorry, local law, general law in the state uh, around 2006 that we were to be a state-funded agency um, to provide services to all of the districts in the state should they choose to, to go with us um, for students that were blind and visually impaired. And the purpose was to help these students stay in, the, in their local schools with their friends, with their peers. Um, initially, the we were a line item in the Rhode Island state budget and that helped, you know, defer all of the costs from districts. But somehow, um, a few years ago, we fell off the state budget and we kind of fell off somebody else's radar. And now we're in jeopardy because, you know, we have no funding and Ride, Rhode Island Department of Education feels that maybe somebody else can do our job. But there's, there's no reason to seek outside support, I don't think, if you have home-based services and there's no complaints about service providing. But we'll see how it goes from here. I, I agree. I understand that this program is inside the Paul V. Sherlock Center on Disabilities at Rhode Island College. Now, that sole source contract between the Sherlock Center and the program could expire at the end of June. Why might this happen? And is this going to affect Ryan in terms of receiving his services from the both of you, Judy and Elizabeth? So actually, there has been some questioning about whether or not a sole source contract actually exists because our services are part of the general law of Rhode Island. Um, so we're not even sure if this term sole source contract is correct. But recently we have been getting um, almost $650,000 from um, the IDEA money, federal money that is funneled through uh, the Rhode Island Department of Education. And they would send it off to the Sherlock Center, which is based at Rhode Island College. Somehow this year, Ride determined that they wanted to distribute that $650,000 to the school districts to use as they see fit um, or to contract with whoever they felt could provide their services. That's an option that districts have always had. They didn't have to go to us, 
but we had to be available if they wanted us. Um, in, in the spirit of not having any funding going forward, um, we all in February, the 13 of us all received layoff notices. And it definitely will impact Ryan and all of our other students because parents and students, and and we as well as the providers, we um, feel that continuity and the support and collaboration that we have with one another is really what sets us apart from other programs and services. Elizabeth, I'm sure you can say. Yeah. Are you both (laughs) afraid you might lose your jobs? And um, not be able to work with Ryan again? That's the tough question I guess I ask here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's very discouraging and I can't imagine not being part of Ryan's team, um, having known him for so long. And as Judy said, um, one of the beautiful things about RIVEST is that we are able to collaborate and provide comprehensive services. So, Um, I actually, um, have been working with Ryan since fourth grade, but when I had my second child, when I came back, I went to another district because they had a lot of students who needed, um, vision services from a TVI. We anticipated that this was going to happen. So we were able to, I was able to collaborate with my colleague, Susan Mitchell, who came at the end of Ryan's fourth grade year. And we sat down together, we did some lessons together, and um, she was able to meet his team for the following year. And then when um, the students um, exited the district that I came back to, where there was a lot of a lot of students, um, I was able to return to Ryan. And it was really fun to see him and see how much he had grown and what he had been working on with um, Susan Mitchell. And we did the exact same thing. We met at the end of his sixth grade year and we sat down and she did some lessons and I was able to do some lessons too and um, meet everyone who would be on his team going into seventh grade. So that is um, just such a great example um, that illustrates um, how cohesive we are as a unit at RIVEST. Absolutely. How are you and others speaking out for change? I know there have been meetings. There have been even to the extremes, lawsuits filed, rallies even taking place to stop these changes from taking place. How are all those efforts going? Well, um, we really don't know. Uh, There are a lot of um, hands stirring this pot right now, whether it's the Rhode Island Department of Education or Rhode Island College acting on behalf of the Sherlock Center, the local districts, the parents, and the legislature. Um, I know parents are advocating for us, for the state to follow the law and have us be part of the budget again. Um, They're also fighting for equity for their students. The Rhode Island School for the Deaf um, is a brick and mortar building and they provide services for all students that are deaf throughout the uh, state of Rhode Island, should their district send them. And they have a permanent line item in the state budget. And deaf and hard of hearing is a low incidence disability, but so is visual impairment and blindness. And the parents feel there should be equity from state in state support for both of those disabilities. Um, so I know that's one of the things parents are fighting for. 
Um, I also know that the law and there was a final report, they did a three-year comprehensive study on this and the services needed back in 2004, 2005, and it's called the final report. And there were very detailed paths that should have been followed, such as a ride advisory board comprised of community partners and uh, local districts and parents that should work with RIDE and guiding them how they felt they should manage this program. Um, Sherlock currently manages us, but RIDE is supposed to be overseeing us. So it's a little convoluted for us, um, but there hasn't been that consistent oversight from RIDE um, or the advisory board. It was dismantled for a while. So a lot of things have fallen through the cracks um, due to not following what was outlined in the final report or the law. The other thing, Brian, that I'll add is that um, the parents and students, and I, I believe all of the providers were there, uh, we had a rally um, about a month ago at the uh, Rhode Island House of Representatives uh, session um, on April 13th, and um, we needed to find a way to bring our message to those representatives because they're the ones who are going to work to get this permanent line item in the state budget uh, that we need so that this, this doesn't happen again. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, the contract can be extended and, that, and that's great, but um, I think that everyone needs peace of mind and um, folks like myself and uh, you know the, the the parents as well as you know the service providers uh, need clarity and need transparency. And the Rhode Island Department of Education um, has dropped the ball on um, educating blind students, and I believe that they need to be held accountable for it. I agree. Um, now, have you all noticed this have the same situation in other states besides Rhode Island? Actually. I was just going to say, I believe this happened in New Hampshire uh, a couple of decades ago. So uh, Perkins School for the Blind um, is, is sort of uh, Rhode Island's main threat at the moment right now because um, they uh, charge districts a lower price as far as I understand it for the service providers. But the concern is that, um, you know, if you look on SchoolSpring and look at uh, you know, uh, their uh, job postings, they only require the uh, commitment to get a degree within a year. And, you know, I, I uh, did some crunching of the numbers here and our, uh, the, the 13 RIVEST uh, providers have an average of 20 years of experience. Um, if you, you know, uh, add all their years of experience and divide it out and find the average. So this did happen in New Hampshire where Perkins School for the Blind, which is a great school in Watertown, Massachusetts, did, um, I believe, bid on the contract um, win, and I guess their system is still um, suffering uh, from it. I believe uh, maybe Elizabeth or Judy could talk uh, more about that, and I'm not sure if it's happened in other states, but that uh, New Hampshire in particular, it was brought to my attention that something similar did happen there, and that's what we're afraid could happen in Rhode Island. Wow, yes, Ryan, you're absolutely the math there, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and Ryan is correct. New Hampshire, um, my understanding of it is they did have a state agency 
and they provided the services and they dismantled it and they still haven't recovered from it. There's people going without services now because different agencies are coming in and trying to provide the services. Um, but there's a national shortage of TVIs and O&Ms as well. And you cannot fill positions without people to fill them. So it's, it's a little daunting. Um, I do believe that there is federal legislation that has been filed, I believe, by Representative Markey from Massachusetts. It's the Cogswell-Macy Act. I know it was filed once before. Hopefully it will pass. And one of the things that I take out of that um, legislation is the fact that they want to hold states more responsible for providing the services to blind and um, visually impaired and deaf and hard of hearing students. They feel states have, it's implied states have gotten away from that responsibility to these low incidence disabilities. Um, so hopefully that will pass. And if it does, I, I you know, I'm going to boast for Rivest. I didn't create it, but I believe we could be a model for how that should be done. Everybody. Right. And I think what I would say is that, um, you know, Rhode Island is the smallest state in the country. We're not known for much. Uh, you know, maybe you know us uh, based on, you know, coffee milk or having nice beaches. But I will say we do lead the nation in this program. Uh, you know, there are 13 um, highly qualified providers that um, are here in the state. They most of them live in Rhode Island. You know, they they are all uh, one unit. It's very comprehensive and they really do provide quality services. So I hope we are a model and I hope it, it stays intact. Everyone, I hope you hope we all hope the Rhode Island Vision Education Education Services Program stays alive and continues to give Ryan and fellow blind and visually impaired students the services they need to live happy and healthy lives. I hope even our listeners out there who are listening from Rhode Island maybe can pitch in and help with this effort and keep these services going. Thanks so much for joining us today, everybody. I hope for the best. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Before, thank you. Thank you for coming on, everyone, and especially you too, Ryan. I think you have a bright future, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Brian. Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website. That's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. And my show archive is at acbradio.org slash speaking dash out dash four dash dash blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says Home Speaking Out for the Blind, where you can subscribe to the podcast feed to listen to Speaking Out for the Blind shows, ranging from episode 94 to the present. You may also access the podcast feed at speaking-out-4-blind.pinecast.co. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening. And remember to speak out. Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, 
please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. That's 518-906-1820. Introducing Sunday Edition with Anthony, a weekly magazine show featuring the movers and shakers of our beloved organization, topics and news that affect us all, some great roundtable discussions, and of course, a lot of fun. So join me every Sunday at 1 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream for Sunday Edition. You're listening to ACB Radio Mainstream. Learn more about us at our website, www.acbradio.org. 